Hello, this is Peter Woolfolk. First, let me say thank you so much for being a listener. Now, I want to alert you to our shiny new podcast website located at podpage.com. However, you can go directly to the podcast site located at www.publicrelationsreviewpodcast.com. There, you can contact me through email. You can leave a voice message. You can leave a review. You can read an episode blog and frequently learn about the podcast guests. You might also want to suggest podcast topic ideas or even suggest a guest. You can also let me know if you would like to receive our podcast listener logo that you can post on your social media. So I look forward to hearing from you about our new podcast website, www.publicrelationsreviewpodcast.com. Thank you so much for listening to the Public Relations Review Podcast and have a great day. Welcome. This is the Public Relations Review Podcast, a program to discuss the many facets of public relations with seasoned professionals, educators, authors, and others. Now, here is your host, Peter Woolfolk. Welcome to the Public Relations Review Podcast and to our listeners across America and around the world. Now, whether we know it or not, many of us have been exposed to false information. False information comes in several forms, misinformation, disinformation, and malinformation. My guest today will address those forms of misinformation, the threat it imposes, its impact on our society, and other false information matters. Joining me today from Parsippany, New Jersey, is Michael Sherenson, APR and Executive Vice President of Success Communications Group. He is a 30-year industry veteran and the author of three studies on the impact of reputation and is a member of PRSA's College of Fellows. Now, in 2009, Sherenson served as the chair and CEO of the Public Relations Society of America. In 2005, he represented PRSA on Capitol Hill That same year, he represented the U.S. State Department and its Bureau of International Information on a mission to Croatia. He has also served on the advisory boards at the University of Florida's Department of Public Relations and on Farley Dickinson University's Corporate and Organizational Communications Department. He is also the past president of the New Jersey chapter of the PRSA. Michael, welcome to the program. Well, thank you for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. Well, let's start off by talking about just how pervasive is this misinformation that uh, that you're talking about? Well, I mean, it's extremely pervasive, and I think we're seeing it, you know, we're right now in uh, what the World Health Organization and public health professionals have called an infodemic, where we're seeing um, a spread of dis and misinformation and even malinformation related to the, the, the global pandemic, um, but also with all the civil unrest and, and uh and various issues across the country, we're seeing it, uh, a lot of dis and mis and malinformation associated with that. And then study after study says uh, a majority of Americans and a majority around the world have been exposed uh, to false or misleading information, and which has impacted their ability to make decisions. And at the end of the day, while just the, the sharing of, of maybe false or misleading information is bad, but, but the, the overall impact is what it does. It, it undermines trust. 
it erodes communication channels, and it, it disrupts our economy, our democracy, our workplaces, and our communities. It's tearing our communities apart. And that's why it's so important that we have these conversations and you should, like, folks like you shine a bright light on this topic and then we continue to study and investigate it. And also we do things to help mitigate and manage it. Mm-hmm. Now, when you talk about uh, significant threat, can you talk about uh, exactly what you mean by that? I mean, how are people, where are they getting the information from? How should they be getting the information from if they want to begin to be more comfortable about what they're hearing? Well, you know, let's face it. Th- th- these concepts are not new. Dismiss and malinformation are not new. Um, you know, you've always had conspiracy theories and rumor mills. You've always had foreign entities kind of spreading propaganda. But because of the uh, hyperconnectivity and social media and the speed and pace of news, um, I think it's become um, a bigger problem. I mean, you know, when we got our news in the morning from the, from the, the morning paper and at 6 o'clock at night, I mean, we weren't just exposed to the level of, of information. But now, because we're bombarded and it's coming from all sources, multiple social media channels, multiple news outlets, it's the environment is ripe for disinformation. So, and I think the sources, um, we have folks, we have obviously uh, foreign actors, and Russia and China are absolutely positively out there, uh, and their goal is, is to divide our country, and, it's, and sadly, it doesn't take a lot. It just takes a simple nudge or a simple push, and so they're, they're active, as are other foreign players. But then you also have domestic, you have uh, the outrage industry, and people have a very specific, uh, you know, uh, political cause, um, who are who are looking just to disrupt and undermine and and cause harm, and then you have just some people, believe it or not, who just enjoy just tweaking the system. So I think it's coming from all sources, and and the problem is when somebody sees a piece of of, of just say disinformation. And I'll, let me just clarify real quick the difference: misinformation is is false information that's shared with, with without a bad intent. You know, and, and unfortunately, we've all probably done that. Um, you know, you might see it on Facebook where somebody just shares a, a rumor they're hearing about, oh, I hear our school district is eliminating X, Y, or Z. But then there are those, the disinformation, that is false information with, with a negative intent, looking to do harm. And then malinformation is kind of, it's disinformation, but almost more scary in that um, it involves just a, a, a kernel of truth which so makes it even more uh, difficult to unravel. So I think in combination what happens is somebody with evil intent or the best intent posts something online, and then one of their followers, so that's kind of the seeding of the information, and then you have the sharing and the activation where people then see that, and, and why do they, why do they uh, take, latch on to it? I mean, we're all human, and we all have uh, complex emotions, and I think we latch on to things that quote-unquote taste good mm-hmm. that just kind of fit with our narrative that look that conform with our beliefs that that so you know whether it's you know certain prejudices we may have or even certain fears so you know somebody who just even somebody who just loves their children to you know to pieces and only wants the best for them and then a friend shares a piece of content that says drinking this juice causes cancer and all of a sudden, you're drawn to that because you want to protect your kids. And that's people, and this is just all people with the best intent. You throw some negative intent in there, and then so they share this story about the juice that may cause cancer, and then their 150 friends see it, and mm-hmm. then they share it. And all of a sudden, you know, because you all, we all share similar circles, you've seen that story 
on your news feed 12 different times. Mm -hmm. So if 12 different people share it, it must be true. And that's what happens. And that's just a simple uh, uh, analogy with people with probably good intent who simply want to protect their neighbors and community. You add in those with negative intent, it's a cancer, and it spreads quickly. Mm-hmm. So fake news, between the, all those three that you mentioned, the fake news, does that uh, comfortably fit into uh, disinformation and malinformation? Well, you know, what, what is fake news? I mean, I, I, I do think, uh, frankly, the 24-hour news environment is ripe for, you know, false information. I think when you have talking heads on TV all day, talking about a wide range of complex subjects, many people trying to oversimplify, some looking to create sensationalism and make their appearance on a TV show, you know, more noteworthy and try to get invited back. I think the environment is ripe. I I think, frankly, that the the journalists are trying to do the best they can to fact check in real time, but it's Mm -hmm. not easy. So, I, you know, fake news, I'm really not sure what that, that is. I mean, that's kind of a broad term for any kind of false information. But it's coming from all sources. And, even again, even those with best intent, I mean, just because of the nature of the 24-hour news cycle, I think, and that's why it's so important that people kind of build this, this kind of cognitive muscle, this skepticism, and that they verify and double-check and prove. Simply just don't take any information they get at face value. Um, so that's why it's, I think it's more important that, you know, we kind of develop these muscles and be prepared to kind of uh, verify, pause and verify uh, information as we get it. Mm-hmm. You know, what's interesting when you said face value, uh, you've probably seen it now that technology has a way of making it appear that uh, the, the person that you're actually seeing and watching on the television screen is saying something other than what they actually said. Forget the terminology that's used for yeah, that. Yeah, the deep fake videos. That, deep, oh, it's terrifying. That's right. It, mm-hmm. it, it's ter- I mean, it is. There, and there are so many different tactics people use from the deep fake uh, videos to websites that have a similar domain name. So you know, while it may be abcnews.com, maybe somebody puts abcnews.us.com, and all this it looks exactly like that. They mimic the website. Um, and then all of a sudden they're sharing this uh, this information. You also have trolls. You have uh, you have bots are a huge issue. I mean, half of the, the conversation online are, on Twitter are not even human beings, but it's uh, it's it's artificial intelligence that's purposely trying to churn up the waters and create kind of trending uh, topics. So and then you know the, then you have the social media uh, platforms that you know they're starting to do some, but could do more to kind of slow the spread as well. But the deep fakes, to your point, and, and all the technology that can, can help manipulate messaging is terrifying, absolutely mm-hmm. terrifying. Well, let's talk about that. What other impacts have you seen or are you aware of in terms of where this is real? Uh, you know, we've talked about the things that maybe neighbors are sharing information that they thought was real and it has had some neighborhood impact, but, but on a larger scale, national or statewide impact, have you noticed from fake or misinformation? Well, I think, you know, listen, the, the, the most dangerous ones are the, uh, the campaigns that, that are more than just kind of disinformation, but they're coordinated, targeted efforts to shape perceptions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think we're seeing that, uh, obviously, as you noted, manipulated images and memes and targeted messages and viral messages. Um, you noted the defect videos are becoming a, a, a big problem. You see kind of this clickbait, these, as I noted, these fake websites, impersonations, all these kind of things. So it's all become around us everywhere. 
And certainly, you know, you have the bad, you know, Russia and beyond, and uh, the 2009 study found evidence of organized social media manipulation in 70 countries in 2019. Mm -hmm. That's up from 48 countries just the year before. So you're seeing more foreign actors. China now, um, they are now adopting a more Russian model. Theirs was less about disrupting America, but more promoting their, their concept and their way of life. Um, but now they've seen the success of the Russian model. And let's face it, it, it's a form of information warfare that where they can keep their hands clean, that it's, it's inexpensive, it's cheap. Um, you just basically light the fire and walk away and just watch it happen. Mm -hmm. um, and they, but they can keep their hands clean. So you're seeing more of that. And, uh, but it's also, you know, frankly, it's, it's just not bad actors trying to disrupt our, our democracy or our economy. But we're seeing examples of, for example, Starbucks was a target. Uh, there was somebody posted a series of, of bogus tweets uh, saying promoting what a, a Dreamer Day that Starbucks was offering free coffees to Dreamers, and what this did was one, it, people went there thinking they were going to get free coffee, but but even but the bigger problem was people were protesting in Starbucks, thinking Starbucks was kind of getting involved in this political discussion, which they weren't. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Coca Cola forced to deal with uh, false reports about one of their bottled water and people were claiming there were clear parasites in there you know so all of a sudden now they had to deal with that i mean we've seen time and time again where um you know people pumping fake stocks um so manipulating the stock market using this and this information and it was actually believe it or not uh, there was a group in california that that hired a company to change a public opinion in their favor just so they can get certain people elected to the community health board. So it's hitting people at all levels, but there's also examples of, frankly, India where there were lynch mobs came and killed people based upon false information. In Nigeria where people were uh, posted incendiary images which contributed to, to dozens of killings and deaths. So it has an impact just beyond. Um, and also, even frankly, we've seen examples of major corporations where all of a sudden uh, with government contracts where people put out false information about them and their, their contracts have been either put on hold or um, put in jeopardy. So, I mean, we're seeing examples all over the place. And you don't, it doesn't have to be big, huge, multinational. I mean, I use a school board example. I mean, it just could be, or even, frankly, a development project where somebody's trying to build a new hospital, for example, and somebody starts spreading uh, disinformation that it's going to be a jail or something that the community doesn't want. And all of a sudden, then, there's so much energy has to put in, in battling this disinformation. So it's coming in all forms. And again, it's not unique, but what is different is our, our hyper-connectivity, the social media, and just the, the, the whole news environment is so much more different than it ever was in the past. Mm -hmm. You know, as you were talking, I remember reading somewhere, and exactly, I forget exactly where I saw it, but there was a public relations firm that says it specializes in disinformation. So if you need to have uh, somebody's or people's attitudes changed about something or another, then they can, they're willing to, to help you do that. So that was kind of frightening just to see that the people are advertising that skill. Well, terrifying. And there are companies now that kind of um, using this, this psychological warfare and for, for wrong. And I, it's a huge problem. And I know the Public Relations Society takes it seriously. 
obviously a violation of our code of ethics. It undermines our profession. So I, we need to do everything to put an end to, end to this. And, you know, the fact that they're, you know, I would argue that they're anything but public relations firms. They're, they're information warfare specialists. Mm-hmm. But the fact that they're, they're, they're even somewhat associated with, with an industry I love and care about, it, it, it angers me. So, um, no, that's a huge issue. Good point. Now that you know, we've talked about misinformation coming from various and sundry sources, how does one go about verifying or where can they go so they can begin to feel that the information that I, I am getting or seeing or reading is trustworthy? Where would you suggest that they uh, begin to look for that kind of information? Well, you know, there's been several studies out that, that this talk, first and foremost, before the verify, is training people to simply take a pause. So there was a study out of Vanderbilt University, not far from where you are, that said that simply pausing before you share will slow spread. Simply taking a pause for just a few seconds. And again, you, you know, I use the analogy of the, we consume and share information that tastes good. But sometimes before you have that piece of cake, if you just take a second to think, do I really need that extra piece of cake? Mm-hmm. And that's the same thing with information. You know, and, and like consuming food or eating beverages, when we're drunk on, on anger and fear, we're more likely to share, just like we are more likely to consume when we're drunk on alcohol or whatever the case may be. So I think, first and foremost, people need to kind of be educated and take it upon themselves to just pause. Just pause before you share. And then the next step, obviously, as you indicated, is verifying. And, and a simple tool, a simple tool is whatever the post is, you know, drop it. Put it into your search bar and search it. And if you don't find it anywhere else, then you know what? Maybe there's something wrong with that information. Mm-hmm. If someone shares an article, take the headline and take some of the keywords and just go to Google. If you don't see it anywhere else or if you only see it on sources that all kind of look the same, then you know what? Take pause. So all I, I think you know, there's a lot of great tools out there. You can put uh, photos in and videos. But, you know, a simple, simple tool, and I think, by the way, that's one of the things we need to do is make it super simple and frictionless. But I think it's just take a five-second pause and take the headline or take whatever the kind of topic is, put it in the Google search bar and search it and just see what comes up. Uh, you know, and that generally will, will really help slow the spread. So I think that's key. But I also think that, you know, the, one of the things that, that the public relations community is looking at and I think we're, we're going to see more of is this concept of attitude inoculation, how organizations and government entities can inoculate people from disinformation. And what is the attitude inoculation? It's simply giving people just a taste of the, the information they might hear. So when they do hear it, they know, boy, it's not real. So, mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's, it's got a fancy term, and it kind of plays off the whole spread of the virus and pandemic and inoculation. But so, for example, uh, you know, anti-smoking, an inoculation message for warning people is basically, listen, every, every healthcare professional says that cigarettes cause cancer, but you might hear from your peers that it's safe and it, doesn't, and it won't harm you. But please know that it's, almost all doctors agree it's bad for you. So, and the other thing is you want to forewarn people, but you also have to be mindful of, to, you know, one of the tactics that's recommended is kind of sandwich the vaccine between two uh, correct statements. So don't lead with the incorrect, because sometimes that'll actually lead people to, you know, to make a false assumption. But if you lead with the correct information, sandwich it with the information they might hear that's negative or false, 
and then follow up with the accurate. So, you know, uh, it's a tactic. To, uh, the study that, that I saw was about uh, climate change, and they were actually able to move people's opinion dramatically by using that, that truth sandwich, sharing the accurate information, telling them the information they might hear and why it's false, and then closing with that accurate information. So I think that as, you know, and we can do this, by the way, not only on issues uh, specifically, but on some of these. So, for example, the deep fake videos, we can inoculate people against those deep fake videos. So just imagine, for example, your local police department or uh, library or school district just simply put out a message saying, listen, we all love to consume information on, on social media, but just know that certain videos called deep fake videos are manipulated, and the people you see in there may not, not actually see what you see. And just letting people know, it's just a form of education, just so when they do see it, they're more aware. Um, so I think we need to inoculate uh, the public more from some of not only these tactics, but some of the, the messaging that's coming about. Obviously, the more powerful inoculation comes through when we know it's going to be a certain uh, attack of a certain type, or we know that something's coming. The elections, for example, um, is, is inoculating people from information they might see from foreign sources. So it, there's a lot of social science involved in behavioral health. It's more than just communication. It's understanding the psyche of people who are consuming this information. Well, you know, you have given us an awful lot of things to uh, to think about and uh, opened our eyes to a lot of things that are coming down the pike and just how to go about saving ourselves from uh, you know succumbing to some of this misinformation and malinformation. So any other closing thoughts uh, to our audience before we uh, call it a day? Well, one the final thought I would just like to add that, uh, you know, I'm sure there's a lot of communication professionals, public relations professionals, business leaders, community leaders who are listening to this. And I think we, we, we all have a responsibility to slow the spread, to flatten the curve of disinformation. And I think we all have to take an active role um, at not only kind of fact-checking and making sure we're not part of the, the whole cycle, but trying to educate others. And I think, uh, I know the Public Relations Society of America will be launching an effort, but I think it's something that every organization and every professional communicator, educator should be taking seriously and, and, and joining, being part of the solution and not just complaining about the problem. Well, Michael, thank you so much. Again, my guest today has uh, been Michael Charrenson. He's uh, Executive Vice President of Success Communications Group in Parsippany, New Jersey. And, Michael, thank you so much for joining us. We've enjoyed it. Uh, you've imparted a lot of information that people will benefit from. Thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity. Okay. Have a great day, and uh, we'll talk soon. Okay. Thank you. And thank you again for listening to the Public Relations Review. If you've enjoyed today's show, please leave us a review. Thank you. This podcast is produced by Communication Strategies, an award-winning public relations and public affairs firm headquartered in Nashville, Tennessee. Thank you for joining us. Hi, this is Peter Woolfolk speaking. Now, first of all, thank you so very much for listening to the podcast. Now, I am very excited to let you know that the podcast is now available on Amazon Alexa. You know the drill. Simply say, Alexa, play Public Relations Review Podcast, and she'll take it from there. And again, thank you 
for listening. And if you enjoy the program, please become a subscriber. Now, on to the podcast. <laughs> 